Hello, guys. Good morning. Come on in and take a seat. We're going to get started. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, so I have the privilege of introducing Eric Davis to you all. He's um, an elder at Resort South Bay. And funny stories, he actually also went to Chula Vista High School with Andy and I <laughs> back in the day, a couple years younger than us, but still equally <laughs> as Chula Vista as we are. Uh, <laughs> So I'd like to call him on up and uh, pray for him and hear what God has to say through him today. Yeah, pray for you. Um, God, I thank you so much for Eric. I thank you that you, um, you have been the one that have had your hand over his life, his entire life. I thank you that you have prepared him for this specific moment to share with us um, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help him to, um, even as he's uh, prepared and spent time thinking and praying about what you want him to say, that even in this moment, you would guide his words and you would open our hearts and our ears to hear um, from him and hear from you ultimately, God. Thank you so much for how you work, how amazing you are, um, and how uh, involved in the little details of our life you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello, everyone. Really uh, stoked to be here with you all. Uh, I think this is like my second time with you guys. And um, whenever I think of Uptown, there's a lot of joy that comes to my heart because I know uh, realistically there wouldn't be a South Bay if there wasn't for Uptown. And so I'm really grateful for you all. Um, and I think this is the church, like Jackie said, like we have the most Chula Vista High School alum. We have more here than we do in South Bay. So. It's, uh, it's, it's funny how that, that worked out. Um, so I'm really glad to, to be here with you all. Uh, Christmas Eve of 2017 is a day that I'll always remember. This, is, this was the year where Leanna, my wife, and I were parents of one. Currently, we have three daughters, seven, four, and one. Uh, but this, this time, in 2017, we're only parent of one child. Life was simple back then. We didn't know it at the time, but now I have perspective. But this was also Vailua, that's my oldest. Her name is Vailua. This was her second Christmas, but really her first one because she was born December 2nd of 2016. So now she was only three weeks old, didn't get anything. And so this year, 2017, we figured she'd have like a first taste of what opening gifts would be like on Christmas Day. Uh, another thing about this Christmas was that it was going to be like a makeup for the previous year. You see, uh, usually in the Davis household, that's my last name, uh, Leanna will make a mouth-watering feast for Thanksgiving and Christmas. They're amazing. And if you were in South Bay and you're in my GCs, like, you know how we have like our weekly announcements? This was like a standing announcement. that I'd be, I'd be like, guys, we're like 12 weeks away from Thanksgiving. <laughs> We're 12 weeks away from Christmas, like Leanna's Feast. If you don't have anything planned, come over. You gotta have her fruit tart. They're way better than anything you've tasted. Um, and so that was like, the word hype, I feel like that's too small of a word, or cap nowadays, maybe. Uh, it's too small of a word to describe how well my, my wife's cooking is. It's, it's, it's amazing. 
All that to say, when Lua was born in 2016, uh, we didn't have that Christmas feast. And so now this is going to be like a makeup for two Christmas worths of feasts. I couldn't wait. We had already made arrangements uh, for our family to come to town because at that time my parents were living in Blythe, California. So that's like three hours, 45 minutes east. And then my wife's family were in LA. And so it was a big deal to have them travel all that way, spend a couple days with us. And so that night, Christmas Eve, with Lua already asleep, Leanne and I were getting all the preparations in place. She was cooking and baking. I was tasting the food, making sure the QAQC was on lock. It was good. Um, but I was also assembling all of Vailua's toys, like all her gifts, so she would be able to open them the next morning. So it's around 8 p.m. I'm in the living room, sitting down, like crisscross legs, and just assembling her toys, putting them together. And so I'm sitting down. I'm, I'm not reaching too far, but I'm grabbing each piece and assembling it. Uh, this is probably around my like fifth toy of assembling. And I'm starting to notice, hey, it's getting harder to reach in this seated position, crisscross legs. But I'm close to the finish. I'm like, ah, we'll just finish it up. And so I only had like one piece to finish my last toy. And I go for my final reach, and out of nowhere, I just get this excruciating pain in my lower right back. A pain that I've never known up until this point. I remember my eyes filling instantly with water, like tears just flooding me. And I was afraid. I'm like, what is this immediate pain? I didn't know pain could be so sharp. I'm only 28. I didn't think I had to worry about this at this age. But that moment, everything stopped for me. I literally couldn't move. Leanna had to help me off the floor and onto our bed. Even laying down was painful. Like my legs were shaking. The pain was so intense. She had to help me to the restroom in the middle of the night. It was, it was bad. And again, this is Christmas Eve. The night before, we still had preparations to finish. That dang toy is still unassembled in the living room. All these things are going through my mind. I'm like, we're, we're not ready. We're, we have family coming, the, the food. Like, the, the, how, are we, how are we gonna get through this? Fast forward to Christmas morning around 6 a.m. Thankfully, my parents arrived in town early and so my dad took me to urgent care. It was surprisingly empty. And they saw me right away on Christmas day. They said I had a pinched nerve going on, and they gave me a shot in my glute, and it was a painful relief situation for me. And Christmas Day was, was saved. I walked very carefully the rest of the day, but I didn't need any help to walk around. But one thing that I'll always remember was this was a turning point for me. That moment literally disrupted me. It caused me to rethink about a lot of things. That, oh, even though I'm only 28, if I don't take care of my body by stretching or watching what I eat or how much I eat or how I'm sitting and reaching for things, moments like this can happen again. And it was then that I was forced to reconsider how I was living and make appropriate changes in my lifestyle. You see, that Christmas Eve disrupted me in a lot of ways. Things did not go back the way they were for me. It would actually lead, to, lead me to make changes that would slowly over time be better for me. Uh, for instance, uh, I began stretching while brushing my teeth, like literally stretching while brushing my teeth, making sure my hamstrings weren't, weren't tight. I began practicing what it meant to eat in moderation instead of 
eating until I'm completely filled. I started to eat less fast food. Instead of two fast food meals a day, it was now one fast food meal a day. <laughs> Sanctification is slow. <laughs> that moment was a reminder of what I did not want to experience again. My normalized outlook on my physical well-being was disrupted. Now, hear me. Even though that pinched nerve helped snap some things into motion for me for the better, I would never go back and say, I'm thankful for that pain. Like, I, I wish that pain would happen again. Like, hear me, no. I don't, <laughs> I don't ever want to feel that again. Are you kidding me? That hurt. That was sharp. But as I look back, I'm beginning to see a bigger picture and a bigger perspective for it. That it was a disruption that I actually needed. And you see, the reason why I share that story today is because we're going to be looking at something that was and is very disruptive to this world. A disruption that was born in the ghettos of Bethlehem and was raised in Nazareth, which was a town where nothing good comes out of Nazareth. There's nothing to brag about there. And yet it's here where this disruption came in the form of a baby named Jesus. Today we're kicking off our Advent series. And as we enter into this time, which comes before Christmas, the word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, Adventus, which means the arrival or the coming of. And as followers of Christ, Advent is a time of two things, preparation, and anticipation, preparation and anticipation. Firstly, we prepare for the celebration of Jesus' first coming through his birth. And it's also a time of anticipation for Jesus' second coming when he comes back. And I feel like God is presenting a new type of invitation to us today. A disruptive invitation for us to engage with our emotional well-being differently than we've had in the past. Maybe this time of the year isn't the most wonderful for you. And it feels like the opposite. And God wants to meet you in that by giving you a permission to give language to the cry of your soul. Not shying away from feelings of anger, grief, doubt, apathy but rather seeing them as a bridge that connects you to a deeper nearness with him and a deeper awareness of yourselves. A disruptive invitation for us to recalibrate our worship, seeing each moment of life as an opportunity to give weight to God and how we live and how we interact with others and how we spend and give our money generously and what we give priority to on our calendars and how we prepare for Sunday worship the night before and how we prayerfully interact with our coworkers. A disruptive invitation for us to remember God, seeing our relationship with time as never being the same because of what Jesus has done for us and depending on the Holy Spirit to help us grow in wisdom and being able to notice what he's doing in our lives, shining a light on his active motives and his actions in our, in our personal lives, something we don't want to miss. And I feel like God wants to grow our church in this series by disrupting our norms to bring about his newness in our lives. And today, as we open this series, we're going to be exploring what God has for us as we praise him 
through Psalm 146. Uh, but before we jump into the psalm, let me go in and pray for us. God, I thank you for bringing us to this moment, bringing us to this place, being so mindful of us. You care so much about every single person here in this room who's listening and everyone who's not in this room, Lord, and you meet every single one. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that your words, would you highlight something? Maybe you'll bring an image to mind. Maybe you'll bring a face to mind. Maybe there'll, there'll be an emotion, a, a reaction that we feel as we hear this talk. Would you help us to notice that? And would you help us to bring that to you and see how we can see that as a bridge to connect closer with you? So, God, I thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be in Psalm 146 this morning, and I'm going to read the entire psalm, and then we're going to break it down. Okay? This is verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. So a little background on this psalm. Uh, psalm 146 is considered one of the five closing hallelujah psalms, often considered the final book of praise. And throughout this book of psalms, we see psalmists write about their grief, their shame, their sins, their doubts, their fears, the uncertainty they're facing. Moments where life is going great and all of a sudden it's not going well at all. Psalmists reflecting on defeats and victories, in loneliness, everything in between. But now as we read through this verse, through this psalm, we actually see praise in every line. Because as followers of Christ, we know that all will end in praise. That being said, let's dive back into verses 1 through 2, and let's see what the Holy Spirit has for us. Verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Growing up, I remember occasionally attending my grandfather's church on Sundays, uh, located in National City, not, not far from here. It was a small church that had about maybe 30 people in it, and it was a Samoan church. Uh, the, the entire service was mainly spoken and sung in Samoan. But sometimes uh, my grandfather would preach in English, if you notice my parents and me in the audience. But there are two things I'd always remember about attending my grandpa's church. One is how they always had food to give out each week after service. 
And it always involved cans of mackerel, spam, and corned beef. God bless them. And the second thing that I'll always remember is the singing and how their singing made me feel. You see, they didn't have an elaborate band. They had maybe a, a small piano, if that. But everyone in that little room sang their hearts out. I mean, everyone was singing loudly. I remember looking around at five years old, I'm like, is everybody singing right now? This thing is loud, like I'm monitoring the room. And everybody's lips are moving. And even though I hardly understood the Samoan words that they sung, I remember feeling surrounded by their harmonies and feeling three things. One, a sense of pride, um, feeling special, and I felt safe. And as I look back, I realized that I felt these ways because it touched on a deep core longing of mine, a core longing that we're all born with called belonging. We're all yearning to feel like we belong. And you see their singing in unison helped me realize that I belong to something bigger than just myself. Not only to my Samoan heritage, but to the God that they were singing loud praises to. I was exposed to the fact that I belong to a creator who is worthy of our songs. And this is what the psalmist is getting at. The psalmist is beckoning us to sing to God both individually and corporately. Because as we sing praises, as we literally sing songs to God, something happens within us. We become reminded that there is something bigger than just us. That there is a larger perspective available than just our current situation or than just the current disruption that we find ourselves in. That we belong to a body of believers bigger than just us. That we belong to a, a bigger story than just our own individual ones. That there is a community of people who we belong to, even if we don't feel like we are, we belong to a community who can sing praises on our behalf especially when the moments are too hard for us to sing on our own. Whether we understand or believe all those words that are being sung, we belong to a group of people who can sing praises for us. We belong to a God who is worthy of our songs, who's able to move us, which is different from emotionally manipulating us to feel a certain way, but rather he can move us through, through songs to help us to remember his safety and his peace. And doing that helps us to remember how significant we are to him. He can move us through old, familiar songs that out of nowhere hit us in new ways because of what we're going through in the moment. And he's able to meet us through the surrounding voices of our brothers and sisters. This past summer, uh, Restore South Bay, we had our, our very first men's retreat, um, which was really awesome. It was like an hour and a half east uh, it was like a little secluded spot. And during that time, we had a, a musical like worship session. And JR, maybe some of you, some of you know him, uh, he led us through a specific one. And one of the songs that he sang, um, it was called Pride of a Father. And he said to all of us before singing it, he's like, hey, I want you to just sit and I just want to sing these lyrics over you. I don't want you to, to sing them out loud. Just let them fall on you and see what the Lord has for you. 
I'm like, okay, I've done, done this before. That was, my, that was internally, right? And I remember closing my eyes and just being open for a second and sitting there listening to the lyrics being sung over me. The pride of a father. And I felt like tears were just beginning to flood my cheeks. I didn't know why. What is this reaction? I never, I've been following God since like six, like I knew about him and all these things. I never experienced this. What is this? And God met me through JR's voice as he was singing those lyrics over me. I felt like God was singing them directly to me. And I felt both special and loved in that moment. And as I heard my brother's voices singing just surrounding me, I remember that I belonged to something bigger than just myself. That I did belong to a creator worthy of our songs. And it moved me just like I was five years old in my grandfather's church. All that being said, friend, I want to encourage you to sing aloud to God during musical worship. Listen to how God wants to meet you through old and familiar lyrics, through the voices of your brothers and sisters that are surrounding you here. See how the Holy Spirit will meet you and reposition you to see him more clearly. Allow yourself to praise God through singing because he is worthy of your song. Let's continue reading from verse 3 to 4. Verse 3. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. The psalmist grounds us in a strong warning and reality here. To never secure our source of hope or trust in man. The psalmist uses the word prince here because during ancient times, it was the kings and princes who had all the power and influence. And it was natural for people to place their confidence in kings and royalty because they were charged to keep the kingdom safe. And yet the psalmist is saying something disruptive. Hey, don't place your ultimate confidence in people, whether princes or presidents or a political party, or influencers, or your bosses, your, your parents, a spouse, your partners, your, your pastors, your coaches, your teachers, your best friends, or any person who depends on breathing air to survive. Don't place your ultimate confidence or trust in them. Now, the psalmist is not saying this to implant distrust between us and others. But rather, the psalmist wants to disrupt us and disrupt whoever we are placing our ultimate trust and confidence in if it's not rooted in God. Because at the end of our time, all humans will die. And no human being can help anyone when they are dead. Their plans perish along with them. And so I want to ask you, friend. Whose words do you tend to run to for safety, for peace, for comfort? Whose words have such a power over you where just one word or maybe it's a look can easily make or break your day? What area of your life needs to be disrupted so you can see God rightly? 
This is exactly what the psalmist is inviting us to realize in verses 5 through 7. To see God rightly in comparison to man. Let's, let's read that, verse 5. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The psalmist reminds us where happiness is truly found here, where joy is satisfied, whose help is always reliable and constant, and is found in the God of Jacob. This is why the psalmist uses the word blessed here, which means happy. Happy is the one whose help is the God of Jacob and whose hope is in the Lord. When the psalmist uses the name God of Jacob to describe God, they're doing something very intentional here. This isn't random. They're not just pulling one random name. They're actually wanting the audience and the readers to remember that God is someone who remembers his promises. That when he promised Abraham that he would bless the entire world through his descendants, he didn't forget. That when God repeated this promise to Abraham's son Isaac, that would be through his descendants that God would bless the entire world. He didn't forget. And when God finally repeated that to Isaac's son, Jacob, we see Jacob having 12 sons that would lead to becoming the 12 tribes of Israel through which the world would be blessed. God didn't forget. The God of Jacob remembers his promises and always fulfills them. We see this because it's through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's lineage that Jesus Christ is born from, which is a fulfillment of that covenant and the ushering into the new one for us. So the psalmist wants us to remember that the God who is worthy of our songs is a God who is faithful to his own word, meaning he doesn't deviate from his plans or from his promises, from the covenants that he establishes. He doesn't grow forgetful when things get tough. This is true back then, today, and forevermore. Another thing the psalmist is reminding us by saying the God of Jacob here is that we belong to a bigger multi-generational family. We see Paul in Galatians 3 echo this, saying if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Meaning that if we believe who Jesus said he is and live in a way that gives weight to God in all areas of our lives, not to prove anything out of duty, but to live entirely out of worship to God, then we are descendants of Abraham because our faith is rooted in the same God. And as followers of Christ, we believe God is the creator of all things. And so it makes complete sense that the author of joy and happiness knows how to satisfy this longing created within us. Blessed is the one whose help is the God of Jacob who remembers not only his words, but always remembers us and is always here to help us, to help us remember we're not alone, to help us remember that we belong to a bigger body than just ourselves, to help us live in a way that brings more weight to his name in our lives. You see, the reason why Abraham was considered righteous in God's eyes had nothing to do with him following God flawlessly. In fact, we read the opposite. Abraham was as human as you and I are. 
and he made many mistakes in life. But the reason why God called him blameless and righteous is because he placed his trust in God's promises. Not perfectly, imperfectly. And it was counted to him as righteousness. So friend, I want to ask, what might you be having a hard time with trusting God in right now? What's something that's taking up a lot of headspace for you? And God wants you to surrender that to him in prayer. What's something that you're, you're wrestling with and believing God to be who he says he is? And what area of your life is God calling you into deeper waters of trust? Let's continue reading verses 8 through 10. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. One thing my oldest daughter, Vailua, is starting to do more of is persuasive arguments. Every Friday when I pick up her and her, uh, her sister Lilia from school, without fail, uh, Vailua's first words to me are, Daddy, I want ice cream. And then she proceeds to tell me all the reasons as to why she deserves it. A range of reasons, whether simply because it's Fun Friday, Dad, or because the last time she had ice cream was last Friday, which isn't true, or her most persuasive argument, just because, come on. The psalmist is doing something similar here, but in a much better way. The psalmist is giving us a significant list of reasons why God is worthy of our praise, why God is worthy to be remembered, why our gaze should be on him. And that's because of what he does. Listen, listen to this list again. The Lord sets prisoners free, opens the eyes of the blind, lifts up those who are bowed down, loves the righteous, watches over the sojourners, upholds the widow and the fatherless. The recent Tim Keller, pather, author, theologian, made a very big deal about this list. He would say, think about when uh, people ask you what you do for a living. Or imagine you're in a, a formal setting and you're, you're being introduced to an audience. You probably would be introduced by the things you do, what you spend most of your time doing. Even though you are many things, you'd be introduced by that. Well, God loves to do this too. And we see the psalmist say this. He's saying, hey, you want to know what God loves doing the most? Where he spends most of his time doing? What he wants to be remembered by? And wants his followers to be marked by? It's his pursuit of justice. And we see this all throughout scripture. How important justice is to God. In Job chapter 29 verse 14 we read God describing himself by saying this, I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. In Micah 6, 8, God is summing up what it means to be a Christian by saying this, 
He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? There's a reason why injustice in this world hurts our souls. There's a reason why it boils our blood when we think about people who were wrongfully imprisoned for decades despite being innocent. There's a reason why our kids look at unhoused people with sadness and confusion in their eyes. There's a reason why it pains us when we witness someone taking advantage of another. It's because we are created in the image of our creator and our creator loves justice. He's a God of justice. He does justice. He's clothed in it. He spends his time doing it. He's remembered by it and wants us, his followers, to be remembered in the same way. Belonging to a body who commits to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with the God of Jacob. Maybe you're asking, what does it mean to do justice? Well, the psalmist answers this question in verse 9. By saying, taking care of the sojourners, which is another way of saying the immigrant, the widow, and the fatherless, the orphans. Basically saying, to do justice is to love the marginalized, because that's what God is all about, and wants us to be about as well. Not turning a blind eye to them or ignoring them as if they don't exist, but to love them and to support them. Because this is what we saw Jesus do. Jesus fulfilled these verses. In Matthew 9, we we saw Jesus open the eyes of the blind man who went on praising God. In Luke 13, we see Jesus meet a woman who was physically weak and bent over for 18 years. And Jesus heals her and is immediately made straight. And it says she praised God. In Matthew 25, Jesus reminds his followers that he loves the righteous and describes the righteous as those who serve the least of peoples, because they are serving him. Those who feed the hungry, because they are feeding Jesus. That when they welcome the stranger, they welcome Jesus. He loves those who loves the marginalized. In Luke 7, we even see Jesus having compassion over a widow who just lost her son to death. And when Jesus raised him back to life, it said that all who witnessed it praised God. You see, we serve a God who fulfills Psalm 146, who provided a way for you and I to experience the freedom that he loves to give, to play a role in the just that he's all about doing, to walk humbly and to sing songs to a God worthy of our praise. We serve a God who doesn't give preference to the princes of the world, but prefers those who are lowly, He's not impressed by the powerful or influential like the world is. No, he's impressed with the humble. He gives help to the humble, but he resists the proud. The ones who acknowledge that they need help in this life, he gives grace. The ones who acknowledge that they don't have life figured out, he gives grace. The ones who depend on God for true hope and trust in his words when it seems too hard to do on our own, he gives grace by the way, is one of his promises, giving grace to the humble. And he always fulfills his promises. Ben, you can come on up. 
let's close out by reading our final verse, verse 10. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. When we read Psalm 146 in light of Jesus Christ, we see something powerful here. Because you see, it's the gospel, the good news of Jesus that gives justice to the oppressed. All injustices will be made right. It is the gospel, the good news of Jesus that reminds us that he is a living bread that our souls long for, feeding the hungry. It's the gospel, the good news of Jesus, which sets us free from our shame of past wounds, our sin, and those hurtful labels placed on us. No longer being prisoners to it because of what Jesus has done for us. It is the yoke of Jesus, which is easy and light, that lifts us up. No longer being bowed down from the weight of doing life on our own. It is Jesus who makes us righteous because of our faith in him the starter and finisher of our faith. And it is Jesus who leads us, a stranger into Zion, the heavenly city. It is Jesus who gives the fatherless and the motherless a family to belong to, making us a part of his family. And it's because of all this, the psalmist of 146 got it right. This is why we're here today, this morning, to praise God to offer our hallelujahs to our creator, to our covenantal God, to our help, to Jesus, who always reminds us that he's with us. And as we continue this series of Advent, will we continue remembering him, pondering him on his first coming? And will we live in a way that that remembrance changes our present? Would it help us to see the anticipation that we're all longing for, whether we want to admit it or not, for his second coming? Let's go ahead and pray. God, I thank you for your son who fulfills Psalm 146. I thank you for Jesus seeing us, the stranger, and walking towards us, making that first move, as Sarah mentioned. It wasn't us, it was you. You provided a way for us to taste and see you, how good you are, because that's what we were created for, is to give weight to your name, Lord, in our lives, to all those around us. And so God, as we go into worship, would you help us to sit in the lyrics that you've prepared Holy Spirit, maybe, maybe you want to meet us in these old, familiar lyrics in a new, refreshing way. Help us to hear. Help us to notice. Help us to see what you see. Because that's what this life is about, Lord, is living in nearness to you. So I thank you for seeing us. I thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.